coffee <laughs> over the course of the next hour because I'm socially responsible. <laughs> well, you're not going anywhere, so exactly. technically you are being socially responsible. You're at home. <laughs> I'm at home. Mass right. mandate's been lifted. Walmart is a civil war here in Montana. I think they actually took the sign down they at... They saw it this morning. Oh, I wasn't going to say Walmart. Um, at Planet Fitness, because um, there was a sign on the door that said you had to have a mask, and I think they took that sign down, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Mixed feelings, but... I mean, it's pretty cool to see people's faces again. I mean, that is pretty cool, but people are, like, militantly upset at mask people here. Mm-hmm. So, and like, I'm probably, to get the stink eye on every aisle. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm probably going to keep wearing one until, like, people have been vaccinated a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Like, eventually I'm going to, you know, obviously not wear one anymore. But I would like to give it some more time in case <laughs> the numbers spike right back up yeah. because nobody's wearing masks I'm gonna anymore. I'm going to sit and watch what happens over the next, like, month. Yeah. <laughs> but... This is not where you come for your COVID information. This is the Nightmare Box. Welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the bird by bird, Kristen Bloom. <laughs> I'm not totally done yet, though. <laughs> yeah, you, you've been that. reading it. You've been I... hacking through it for the past little while. <laughs> I stopped reading it for a while. <laughs> well, and that was one thing I said to you, because, I mean, like, I read on days at work where it hasn't been, like, a super long day. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, I spend my whole day at work, like, staring at a computer and reading documents and staring at tiny, tiny print on documents and just being frustrated in general. Yeah. Um, so by the time I get to my lunch break, because I don't, I don't take a lunch break till I've been there for, like, six, seven hours, mm-hmm. I think, before I get to take a break. Um, by the time I get to my lunch break, a lot of the time I just don't feel like reading. Of course. So... Uh, I have been trying to be more of a motivated about it lately, though, but i that was part of the reason. I was like, you know, we should just like pick an evening and read at home yeah, no, where I mean, it's less chaotic. We're definitely going to start doing that. <clears throat> I love that idea because I read almost every day. Um, I try to do at least 30 minutes because that's how long my lunch break is at work. Um, sometimes I do a little more on my off days, sometimes a little less, but I fly through books and Kristen reads one per year. but you've been have you pulled any insights out of bird by bird because we did a whole episode on it when i read it a Mm -hmm. while back maybe almost a year ago now i guess but and uh deep dived some of my favorite sections of the book Mm -hmm. but you got the same exact copy with my underlines did you underline some fun stuff i i have actually um underlined several sections that weren't sections that you underlined that i was Mm kind of like kind of surprised he didn't underline that but then there were sections where you were un- like underlining stuff and I was like I would have underlined that too I didn't like <laughs> double underline it or anything so I was like well that's silly um no and I, I think generally speaking it's probably a book that would speak more to you than me just because it's from a writer's perspective yeah. but and Lamont <laughs> but no it is a I think it's nice in a way. I think Stephen King's book was maybe a little bit more so that way, but it, it's nice in the way that it still kind of applies to life in general. And like, you feel that King's was more about life. I feel like his was a little bit more universal than hers is. I think hers is a bit more specific to writing because she has sections specifically about tips for writing and mm-hmm. how to get through um, like struggles when it comes to your yeah. writing. Where. I feel like King's metaphors were a bit more universal. He's like, build your toolbox for your skill set. And I'm like, well, that applies to anybody. Yeah, it doesn't Um, necessarily need to be, you know, how to write an introduction, how to write an outro. Yeah. 
But I do, um, <coughs> I do find it interesting that, and, and her book definitely has sections where it feels like kind of just universal to life. Mm-hmm. Um, her book feels, I think, a bit more vulnerable. Like, I think Anne's mm-hmm. someone who's a bit more open to talking about her yeah. own neuroses, where King is just like, yeah, I was struggling. and <laughs> I, I had was... a cocaine problem. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, and I saved my rejections as motivation. But he doesn't, I think, get vulnerable with you. He's just like, yeah. keep plugging away and keep building your skill set where Anne gets a bit vulnerable. Yeah, I think King's take on it, you get the vulnerability closer to the end like as he's trying to sum things up after he gets hit by the van mm-hmm. like then we see sure. a more like present version of king and he's it's easier for him to talk about his struggles with his you know hip problems not being able to sit down for long stretches of time to do the writing anymore and his wife like basically telling him to snap out of it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but like uh, Bird by Bird feels a bit more conversational, almost like you're sitting in a room mm-hmm. with Anne where Stephen King felt like maybe you were listening to a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did think it was interesting that she did a chapter on jealousy. There wasn't like anything mm-hmm. that I underlined in that chapter in particular, but it was an interesting approach towards dealing with jealousy whenever yeah. your peers are doing better or than like you. Like one of her friends got the national bestseller or some shit Mm, like that and like was constantly doing really well and apparently Mm -hmm. her and her son that year were really financially struggling and this friend would call her constantly to talk about how well she was doing really funny lines about like beating her to death or some shit like that (laughs) yeah um but i i thought it was interesting that she addressed it because i thought initially because when you see stuff like that like people try to put a positive approach on it like don't let it tear you down like be supportive and all this stuff like that and that was what everyone did to her, like, try to tell her, like, you know, what's good for them is good for all of us. Yeah. And, you know, your turn will come eventually and all that bullshit. And at the end, like, because it just made her feel worse and worse at the end, like, someone is finally like, no, you can be upset. Like, your friend's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed to be wagging their dick in your face right yeah. now. And so she finally kind of comes to terms with, like, it's a emotion that you need to process and work through and let go of but Mm -hmm. it's fine to feel it and in the end her and the friend drift apart because it's gotten to be too much of a burden Mm -hmm. but um no i thought that was interesting it wasn't like a be the bigger person it was like no you can be mad it's fine (laughs) you're more than okay (laughs) um i wonder and i want to read because honestly dear audience i've not read uh (coughs) anything Anne lamott has ever written except for Bird by Bird, which might be a weird approach, but it's a very famous book in literature circles, and like, I, I couldn't name another one for you. But I'd want to read it and see if there's a difference in younger Anne um, and then meeting Ram Dass and then kind of becoming who she is mm-hmm. now with that spiritual side of herself and the LSD side of herself. Because I've been reading the Ram Dass book, and I can see a lot of similarities in the way that they talk. I think it's interesting, because, yeah, I've never read anything by Anne Lamont either. Um, and not that King comes off braggadocious yeah. in On Writing. On writing the motherfucker is a... wrote 75 <laughs> books. <laughs> on Writing is a fantastic No book. endings, but 75 books. <laughs> <laughs> 75 really good two acts. <laughs> um, a handful he nailed, and then he stopped doing coke. No, I'm not, I'm not torturing the king. He's the king. Um... But, like, it didn't feel braggadocious by any means. Uh, On Writing is a fantastic book. But, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like King literally references his work a lot more often. Like, he talks about the journey of Carrie and, like, kind of making it and stuff like that. And there's a section, I don't even remember which section, in Bird by Bird, 
where Anne's talking about how she's been struggling and she's not really, like, catching any momentum. And then, like, at the end of the chapter, she's like, yeah, and then that book went on to be um, one of my best-selling books ever. She never even tells you what the book is. <laughs> I was like, well, I might want to read it. What book was it? may need to go back. <laughs> she doesn't even tell you what it's called. She just vaguely touches on what the concept was, but it's so vague that I'm like, I don't know that I could find what the book is. I'm going to have to Google Anne Lamott best-selling book. So what book is she talking about in the book, Bird by Bird? <laughs> yeah, she never even says what the book is called. I was like, okay, I mean, it's it's humble, I guess, but also, yeah. what was the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. Because I just had to put down that, um, I don't know if we've identified the book here on, the, fuck it, why not, uh, draft number four, the John McPhee book, I think that's his name, um, made it 60 pages in and then had to tap because it was, it, it, it didn't make sense. Like there, were, there were like math diagrams to like try to teach you arc. It, I don't know if maybe I need to be a little bit older to understand, but then he would do these deep dives into books like they were Carrie or they were The Shining, you know, where he'd pull sections where he's just floating on a raft with like a dude from the Bureau of Land Management. And from his own book? From his own book. And he would just put a whole like three paragraph section that That's had nothing good. to do with what was directly before or directly after it. And I'm like, you're just making me read because he's published something like 30 books. So he's you know, apparently very good. Um, but still. Yeah, but I've never heard most of... Most people don't do studies of their own books. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, he's a college professor, so maybe it's something that he uses as a teaching tool in his own class. So maybe seems if a bit douchey. Hyper douchey. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I tap Arroyo out. had released books. He didn't study his no, own books in your class. <laughs> we didn't read his books. Yeah. He gave they teach me, you other books? He gave me a copy after I graduated. <laughs> it was like, hey, if you want to read this, you can read this. But well, didn't you ask him for a copy too? It yeah, wasn't. yeah, yeah. He had them up in his office and I was like, can I snag one of these? And he signed it for me and I got to keep it. So, um, But yeah, the more professorial version in draft number four, um, I, I prefer these more personalized ones. Mm -hmm. The, you know... Um, Feels like somebody's giving you a pep talk. Yeah, the on writing or the bird by bird or the one that's right behind my head. I have no idea. The anatomy of story that I did oh, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, the anatomy of story is more professorial, I guess. Now that I think about it, it's not really about his life, and he's not teaching you any skills outside of the writing. But it reads more like a proper college lecture, where like he's referencing all these different films. And they're famous films for the most part. That like or they're, stuff you've definitely read or watched. Definitely you've read or watched. So it's like, all right, so we're going to talk about act structure through The Godfather. And then like the whole chapter, you kind of follow this theme. And it feels like you're sitting in a master's class. Um, creative writing and Bird by Bird don't feel like master's classes. But I feel like I pull more not only as a writer, but as a human out of mm -hmm. them. Same thing with Chuck Palahniuk's Consider This which I, I need to read again and bring back up more often. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, do, it does feel a bit more personal. Do you um, feel like you get more out of a book like that or more out of your and like technical film books? Uh, I, I think life-wise, for just general kind of reordering your perspective, mm -hmm. like books like this probably have more of an impact, but... Um, and I, I don't know. This is a thing that I kind of wage war with myself. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like, um, not that there's not 
a technical skill behind it by any means, but I feel like your profession is a lot more creativity and exploring that creativity mm -hmm. and yeah, there's, you know, structures and guidelines and stuff you have to follow, otherwise the story's a mess, but it's not a literal, like, technical thing that it's yeah. like you have to do it this way or else, you know? Yeah, I could write and, a story about, you know, childhood trauma and then include, like, a big blue teddy bear out of nowhere, and there's a way to make that work, yeah. you know, if and I want to. And so I feel like, and maybe I just haven't gotten to a point where I'm comfortable with my work yet, but I, I feel like writers get to explore and have fun and, like, mm -hmm. do creative stuff a lot more, where um, I feel like being on the technical side of filmmaking, like, I'm not a writer whenever mm -hmm. it comes to filmmaking I can't write for shit so I don't write my <laughs> scripts um it's a lot more like science and make sure the lighting's right and make sure the camera yeah. positions are right and make sure it's in focus so like for me for my personal benefit for my craft I feel like the technical books do a lot more for me because I'm like this is um to some degree a science that I mm -hmm. have to follow and if I go too far outside of the science like if I don't get the exposure right or whatever it's going to look like shit <laughs> so yeah. well that makes sense because like when you think about kubrick like he was i mean he had his journals where he was doing the sketches of how he wanted things to look but all of his films are like angled in very specific mathematical ways mm -hmm. and what he did with it was very mathematical mm -hmm. i think that there's got to be a level though and maybe it's more in the david fincher side of things the artistic way of shooting the film where Fincher doesn't seem like a technical guy. Like, he's a color dude. So you get, like, Seven and Fight Club and mm -hmm. shit like that. But it's kind of jumpy. It's still really... Like, I mean, not necessarily every single shot, but there's still a lot of shots where it's really structured mm -hmm. and purposeful, and I think maybe that's the difference, is, like, these are older people that have been doing it a lot longer, and I think eventually it becomes a lot more second nature, where mm -hmm. for me, I still have to be very intentional about my choices. Gotcha. Learn um, the rules so you can break them. Yeah, because I've not been doing it as long, so for me, it feels still a bit more like it's an equation I'm trying to solve mm. instead of an art, um, which is kind of a bummer sometimes, but... Um, so you're, like, still trying to break through until it's second nature and then yeah. you can kind of play away on that yeah. other side so, of the wall yeah and i mean they're not always the most fun to read but yeah so like i personally feel like the technical books that are mm -hmm. like look this is why this is done this way and this is how you do this way and if you do it this way you achieve this result i feel like those type of books help me more because i'm still in that phase where it's like if I did this to the lighting, what effect would that have? Or if mm -hmm. I did this to the camera angles, what effect would that have? So I think eventually maybe the, like, and maybe that's why there's not, or not that I've found anyway, like art books regarding filmmaking that are yeah. a bit more like this. Like most like, of these are It's not a bird writers. by bird for directors. Yeah, yeah. Like most of these are from writers perspectives and I feel like you get to have a little bit more fun. And <laughs> with me, I'm like, See, what I, am I doing? <laughs> it's interesting because I thought like your side of things would be more fun. I find we it go fun. Yeah, because <laughs> we go through like in you know kindergarten through fucking you know at least the senior year of high school. Writing is not supposed to be this thing that you enjoy. It's like the comma has to go here. Don't end on a prepositional phrase. Mm. Don't start with the letter I. You know, like you're you're building those blocks, um, and so, I mean, as, as a writer, obviously, and as a director, obviously, we find our own crafts to be 
the more fun, you know, thing to do. I'd yeah. flip out if I had to run a crew of people to <laughs> no, do my I, art. I enjoy it for sure. I'm not saying it's yeah. not fun. <laughs> but I, I would think that what you do would be... A, a bit more interesting because you see the words on the paper and then you get to expound upon those words like for a writer it's like I get a sentence here maybe mm. a sentence there I might write 2,000 words and save 500 of them <laughs> and they're not in any particular order and then I've got to like jigsaw puzzle them together and shit like that mm. try to get things to work out the right way and so I would imagine that what you do would be more fun so I have I have mixed feelings about it. I feel like the literal act of having to sit down and write probably seems more tedious, at least to me anyway. I'm sure yeah, it's probably but once fun. you get the ball rolling, <laughs> it's like meditation. Like yeah. once, once you're, once you get past that initial bit, that second cup mm. of coffee, you hit like a flow state in your head where you're not there anymore, mm. and you're living inside the thing, and it's just kind of throwing through you. So it's like having a daytime dream. <laughs> they call those daydreams. Um, <laughs> you're more invested in it. And you're like yeah. hearing the character. You're like vaguely yeah. seeing what they're seeing. That's the fun part. Mm -hmm. The fucking staring at the blank page bullshit is the most terrifying thing <laughs> in the world. You're sitting there going, I don't think I could ever do this again. I, don't think, <laughs> I think that was the last story that I'm ever going to write. There's never going to be another one. So, yeah, I guess, like, that's it's where... It's like the Gary Goldman joke where he goes, who do I retire to? <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's probably just my perspective, because I'm not a writer, and at one point I thought I wanted to be a writer, and it turns out I'm just not very good at it. So You're a very good it's writer. It's not like I've never heard, sat down and tried to do it. I think, I think maybe your version of creativity and my version of creativity just express themselves in different ways. So, like, they're, I feel like... They're different forms of creativity. <laughs> I feel like the literal act of sitting down and writing from my personal perspective as a filmmaker seems a bit more tedious, and mm -hmm. I enjoy, like, the setting up the camera and the lights and all that shit more. But I feel like, yeah, like you were saying, once you get in your stride, you get to explore your creativity. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, once I get everything set up, I'm like, don't fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, I think that's why I envisioned it to be a similar thing. Is you look down at the piece of paper, you know, the script, and it's, you know, John sits at desk sitting coffee, sipping coffee, and you get to pick how we as an audience, now that that sentence is outside of the mind's eye, get to physically see John sits at a table drinking coffee. Do you come in from behind John's head, you know, mm -hmm. and he's reading the newspaper and there's an important headline? Do you come in from the fucking floor and John's this big thing? Or do you come in from the ceiling shot? Is he at a picnic table drinking coffee? What kind of table is it? Like, all of that seems really fucking fun. And I think, and this may... The concept of having five other people and me trying to explain what's happening in my head to those five people... <laughs> Fuck that, I'd rather just write it down. <laughs> and this may sound a Let bit... the audience pick how the camera comes into the room. <laughs> <laughs> this may sound a bit pretentious, and I don't mean for it to sound pretentious. Um, I know there are people in all crafts, you know, music, writing, painting, filmmaking, whatever, that are just naturally very gifted mm -hmm. and start out and just go... Um, I think those are few and far between, though. Yeah, and I you're think like prodigy yeah. people. <laughs> and I think a lot of the people, like... Even Spielberg, he had a camera from a very young mm -hmm. age. Like, I think all these people that, like, go Super on... Super right? Mm -hmm. Like, all yeah. these people that go on to be um, really prolific in their crafts, like, 
towed away at it for a really long time mm-hmm. um, up front. And I, I don't think many people that just want to make it artsy and don't focus on the technical aspect of it make very good work. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Because we've watched really pretty films where that's the only takeaway. Yeah. It's like, well, it's really pretty, but the script <laughs> is shit, the characters are shallow. <laughs> and I think if I keep going, if, mm-hmm. you know, I keep making movies and keep practicing and stuff like oh, that... I'm not including you in that group. No, well, I know. I think you I make know. brilliant films, I mostly know. because they're based on my scripts. <laughs> I know. I know you're not including me. I'm just saying, from my personal perspective, I think if I keep going, if I um, keep making movies, keep keep practicing, keep kind of um, learning the literal craft itself, eventually I'll hit a point in my career where it's a bit more artsy and a bit more fun mm-hmm. and it's a bit more second nature, but I'm still in that stage where I'm learning how to create the type of shots that I want. Yeah, you're trying um, not to blow out the color, blow out yeah. the shadows. So, yeah, for me Remember it's still... Remember to turn on the audio recorder. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah, so for me it's still a lot more of like a problem I'm solving than a creative expression mm-hmm. so yeah i don't know <laughs> like, um the technical books i do i mean they're boring reads sometimes yeah. but i do find them the most beneficial currently because i'm like i don't know how to achieve this like yeah. how do i get there <laughs> well I'm, and i'm not shitting on either one of them except draft number four by john mcphee because um i don't like it <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm not shitting on any any version of it. I think Anatomy of Story did it really well. It was a very technical book about sentence structure and about fuck an act system. Like here's how you can do this with your characters. Start at the ending, make the ending line up with the beginning, get that never ending story loop. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> um, it's all very technical stuff. I don't know the name of the guy who wrote Anatomy of Story. It's right behind me. I read the entire thing <laughs> cover to cover, but he didn't talk about himself at all. Like, mm-hmm. it was very interpersonal. It was very much, except for, like, the last two paragraphs where he's making a joke with you about go back and reread this book. Um, it, 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 I, I, I don't know. I feel like I learned a lot from professors, like, in schools that were very technical and not very personal. But then in my creative writing classes, when I got away from write an essay about this topic, and it was more, let's write a story, let's write a poem, Mm -hmm. those professors were able to relate a lot more of their life to the lesson that they were trying to teach. Arroyo told, and I can't remember exactly where he went with it, told a story about he was living in San Francisco off the bay, staying in this house I guess he got from the college or some shit like that. Um, like one of those ones that they gift professors. Like they don't get to keep them, but they're the university's house. And he was telling the story about drinking tea, looking out the window over the San Francisco Bay. And I remember that story, and I don't remember what he connected it to. But that's probably the point, because he was really big on pulling from your memory these really specific details. Mm-hmm. And he implanted that one in me to the point where I'm not even 100% sure that's the lesson he was trying to teach me that day. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned things outside of just, you know, sentence structure mm-hmm. from these people who would relate these personal stories to you. My very first film class where you actually had to, like, film stuff because they make you do, like, film theory and stuff, mm-hmm. too. But my first, like production uh, type of class where we had to actually go out and shoot stuff 
um, was real, real basic. Mm -hmm. um, maybe honestly more basic than it needed to be, but I, I think when you're first starting out, that stuff's kind of important. So they teach you like real basic concepts like um, aperture, shutter mm -hmm. speed, stuff like that, what specific angles are called. And I think the only thing we shot that entire semester, because it was predominantly just a lecture on uh, stuff, was a little... Um, oh, no, we did have to do one recreation of a scene from a movie, but outside of that... They that all would be thing, fun. Which one did you do? Uh, she gave it to us. We all had to do oh, the exact okay. same thing, so we didn't get to pick. Um, it was the scene in Zombieland where um, the two of them are like... Uh, sitting, or, uh, the two of them, like you know who I'm talking about. Uh, Harrison the, Ford and <laughs> no, the um, the main the main kid. Uh, yeah. what's his fucking? Don't shoot me with my own gun. Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, the dude. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Emma Stone. I almost said Emma Watson. <laughs> Stone's character. I can't remember either their characters' uh, names, but um, their favorite parts of the little girl tries to kill. <laughs> I think at this point they may have already accidentally killed. Uh, fuck, I'm blanking on names today. The comedian. Mm-hmm. What is his name? Bill Murray. I think. It, I, think that <laughs> I was going to let you sit in it. I was searching in my own brain, and I was like, B-file. It's in the B-file. I think the scene's in Bill Murray's house, and this is at the point yeah. where they've already accidentally killed Bill Murray. But uh, the He's two dying, them, and he's still making jokes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Emma Stone's character and Jesse Eisenberg's character are sitting in a room talking, getting drunk, and he's telling her about how no girl mm -hmm. ever picked him for the school dance, and so they have that little moment where they're dancing together before... Um, Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson comes Bill in and he's Murray. like, we're building a fort. Mm -hmm. um, so we literally had to recreate that scene. Um, and we all had to do it, I guess, just to see how we could do it. Like, we got mm -hmm. broken up into groups and just to see how good everybody did. But outside of that, uh, the only thing we shot that whole semester was a montage of specific shots. So it was like, do a canted angle, do a pan, do a tilt. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, a mid shot, a wide shot. And it was just fucking boring yeah, document where the sun is i remember that was one of the things that you had to do oh, like yeah. you had to shoot in a specific place at different times mm. to see how the sunlight affected that exact same that was from my area. photography class mm -hmm. um but yeah no i think that was the equivalent of having to write an essay for college because i was like this is real boring <laughs> real real boring <laughs> I got so bored with the essays. At one point, I just started writing like these absurd like concept essays for classes that did need did not need them. Like I remember in my Shakespeare class, which I held on to. It was by, your best, yeah. best class ever. No, it was like you know the world was holding me by a pubic hair over a fucking ledge, and I don't know. It was a weird fucking analogy. <laughs> <laughs> like I. You know, skin of the teeth. That's probably a more common one. <laughs> pubic hair held by the world over a ledge. <laughs> it's a very specific image, though. I'll give you that. I mean, it, it's exactly how I felt. Um, but I remember, like, I got D's all the way through that fucking... I just could not give a shit. There's one thing from Shakespeare I've ever loved. It's Macbeth, and I've hated everything else. And I've taken a year of it. And uh, I hate everything except Macbeth. <laughs> like, I don't, fuck Hamlet. Fuck Midsummer Night's Dream. Fuck him as a person. I don't even think he wrote it. They think it was like a group of people. Uh, fuck that. Anyway, I've got all the hatred in the world for Shakespeare. We got a whole episode. Fuck Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> but for that class, it was like, we need you to write a five-page essay um, where there's some modern film or TV show. Um, pick an episode 
and break down how it more or less relates to Hamlet or Midsummer Night's Dream or uh, Macbeth. And I was watching Sons of Anarchy. So <laughs> instead of giving him a one-episode breakdown of this is the story, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, if I'm going to effectively compare it to Hamlet, I have to talk about every character from every season. So, sir, here is a 13-page essay <laughs> on the Sons of Anarchy meets Hamlet. I thought the essay was brilliant. My mom edited and helped me, you know, with all that shit. The whole time I was in college, she wanted to read all the essays and stuff just to see if she could poke fun at my arguments. She loved it. Um, he'd never even heard of Sons of Anarchy. So like, I would write these, like, really bombastic. I had the, you know, what is your theory on the American dream or some shit? And I wrote it in the form of a letter to Hunter S. Thompson's character, uh, Rawl, from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So, like, I was writing to Hunter Thompson's fictional version of himself. It was very meta. That's how I survived those essays. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. Did you get good grades on them? Uh, on all the essays, yeah. Because they were in, they were entertaining. It wasn't like I was copying and pasting out of a Wikipedia article. Like, <laughs> they were creative. I had the, the one that was the Ed Gein psycho one that we talk about ad nauseum because it's, I, a good paper. it's like 20 some odd pages long. It took me fucking forever. <laughs> but it, none of it is just clips out of a story. It's mm. a proper... So I learned to have fun with the essay process, but it would drive me batshit if I had to sit in the same place and take a picture of a chair at different angles in the sun. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah, well, I, I didn't have to, um, for that, I didn't necessarily have to take pictures. I had to write a journal about mm -hmm. how the lighting had changed. Um, we did have, like, photo challenges where there was like one I had to do at sunrise and I did that in your apartment yeah. <laughs> like got up with the dog at sunrise to go take photos you're like where are you going I was like I gotta take photos for class <laughs> they want us up at an obnoxious hour like this is the only course I'm taking I spent it was up until one o'clock last night writing an essay for a different class and here I am four o'clock in the morning getting up so I can take pictures for a different yeah, I was, class I was mad at him for that we had to do sunset photos too but I feel like that's a bit more reasonable yeah. but you had to do sunset and sunrise and yeah I had spent the night with you that night and you were like where are you going I, like, I gotta do pictures <laughs> um speaking of writing though I did have one section I'm sorry I took the conversation how over there how dare you sir trying. how dare you sir i did have one section um in bird by bird and it's literally just like a single line um that i wanted to read and it's not even a full sentence um it's not even the full actually, sentence well the, what i underlined is just the back half because i thought the last part of the sentence was the most poignant but i guess i could can, read the full sentence can you give us the full paragraph if it leads up to it or is it in the middle um it's the tail end of the paragraph cool um so just the, for context, yeah. <laughs> um, the chapter, I don't. Can you really call these chapters? They're like four or five pages long. Yeah, like, are they sections? <laughs> or, like she like really gets in there and hits her point, and then gets out and moves mm -hmm. on to the next thing. So each like little section is only like literally four or five pages yeah. long. Um, That's what and, I love about it. It's super <laughs> stripped down. We're not beating around the mm -hmm. bush. She goes, "Well, these are my thoughts on this." I don't have anything else for you. I'm gone. <laughs> and then the book's broken up into three separate sections mm -hmm. um, for what she's kind of talking about. But this particular chapter is plot treatment. Um, and she's talking about how um, 
a lot of people assume that are like new writers that because they make you do that shit in school like i hated having to do plot outlines so yeah. bad whenever it came to essays because mm-hmm. it was like section one point yeah one, section like one point b you're damn yeah. near basically writing it before you write it and i get that that's constructive um but that's what she's talking about is like people i guess because she doesn't say that, mm. but that would be my assumption because that's what you learn in school. Like when you go to write professionally, you have this assumption that people are so successful because their uh, outlines are so perfectly structured <laughs> that they just knew where the book was going to go, and that was that. Um, and so she is trying to write a book, and this might actually be the one that she's talking about. It ends up being her best-selling book, but she's trying to write a book, and she thinks the characters are really lovely, interesting characters, and it's. The most, like, heartwarming, hilarious, like, mm-hmm. entertaining book she's ever written sends it off to her editor, and edit- her editor's like, you should just put this away and write something <laughs> Stop. else. Like, this isn't going anywhere. Um, and uh, she thinks she's going to fix it, so uh, they, at this point they had already given her uh, the first part of her advance, mm-hmm. and she had been working on this book for, I think she said a couple of years at this point, and yeah. she was like, I don't have anything yeah, else. Yeah, because she kept burning out her advance money as she was writing it, right? Yeah, yeah. because that's what she was living on. She didn't have mm-hmm. a day job. Um, but anyway, so he tells her up front, like, this book is just no good. Like, mm-hmm. you need to let it go. And she's like, no, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> like, I don't have anything else <clears throat> in the pocket. I'm going to figure out how to fix this book. Um and you, you want me to read the whole paragraph? I don't know. Where is it at in the paragraph? Ah, shit. I keep losing my bookmark. Um, it's literally just the last sentence. It's at the bottom of the paragraph. Well, if it's the last sentence, then definitely read the paragraph. <laughs> so it puts context behind that sentence. Um, so her friend tells her, you know, that it's going to be fine. You know, mm-hmm. everything's going to work out. And so she decides she's going to go off and try to fix the book. Um, or she goes off and clears her mind, I guess is actually what's happening right here before she decides mm-hmm. to reapproach the book. Um, it says, so I went off to the elephant's graveyard, renting a room in a huge old house on the Petulum River. <laughs> it was very quiet and pastoral. No one knew who I was. Hardly anyone knew where I was. The meadows outside my windows were filled with cows and grass and hay. I licked my wounds for a couple of weeks and waited for my confidence to return. I tried not to make any big decisions about how to salvage the book or my writing life. Because the one thing I knew for sure was that if you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans. Mm-hmm. And that last part, that if you want to make God laugh, tell her your plans, is the part that I, I love underlined. that she uses her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does, when she goes to save the book, um, she does, because she, she stays at this house mm-hmm. and rewrites the book and sends it to her editor, who I think is in New York, and... Uh, calls her editor and tells her editor she's going to fly up to New York. Yeah. And then she has the beautiful spot where she's talking about pacing back and forth mm-hmm. and like wearing down the tread in her carpet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she, um, her editor doesn't tell her not to come. She thinks she's fixed the book. The book's amazing. She's going to fly up to New York, get the last part of her advance and help her editor edit the book. There'll so be book it. signings and, yeah. you know. She gets to New York and her editor, and she has to borrow money to get to New York because she Mm -hmm. thinks she's going to get the last of her money. And she's like, oh, I'll pay it back, whatever. Um, She gets to New York, and the editor's like, it just, it doesn't work. Like, we can't publish this book. Yeah. And she's, like, furious with them, like, explaining, like, all the deeper meanings of the book (laughs) and what the book really means. And her editor's just like... Well, that's not what you wrote. Like, yeah. go write that book. Yeah, that's so, what you thought you wrote. Yeah, <laughs> you know. so then she does do these 
individual plot treatments of the sections she wants to add in and like goes back and reworks mm-hmm. it and literally breaks it down on her floor and has all these pages everywhere. So I guess as a writer, um, how, how helpful do you find like plot treatments and plot outlines? Like, do you work that way whenever you're writing? I am for the one that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you did the note cards on the wall whenever we had more space. Well, yeah. I, I love stuff like that. Being able to conceptualize scenes. Um, and these are just like what Kristen's talking about was I've got a TV show that I've been not writing that needs <laughs> to be written for years now. And I broke it down. I had, uh, the first episode on one wall under act one, two, three, Um, just so I could try to figure out where my basic action was. And then I had a wall for the entire first season that had, you know, episode one, I need these things to happen. Episode two, I need these things to happen. And I love playing like that. Um, I don't like sitting down in the essay model of 1A, 1B, 1C. That's Mm -hmm. really boring. I hated that. Yeah, and that's why I'm curious. From like when you're writing a creative well, there's the thing. difference. Like there's a in the writing community, you've got your planners and that they call their pantsers, writing by the seat of your pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yep, yep. So your planners are the people that sit down and do the outline. They know exactly what's going to happen. They might be struck along the way with a new concept or idea. But then they just adjust their outline. Um, And then you've got your pantsers, which I respect the process, not taking anything away from the process. I feel like more younger writers are pantsers. (laughs) I was a pantser for a long time. I'm learning to become a planner. Do you think that kind of fucks you over? Being a pantser? Yeah, that you ultimately have points that don't meet up. The writing is a lot more fun if you don't have a plan and you're just following this character in your head, right? But that character is going to fuck you up. Like the did when I wrote Nightmare Box, which is unreleased for a reason. It was a pantser project (laughs) where I forgot who this dude had talked to earlier in the book. The third act does not line up with the first act. It works if I can fix these major issues, but these are major issues I wouldn't have had if I had a whiteboard like I do today to jot down, here are all the things I want to talk about. And here's where these things connect. Mm -hmm. Like I'm working on the, um, has the perfect name, but you'll not get it yet. Uh, (laughs) Memoir of losing my father. Um, Just those couple of years where I lost dad and then I consequently had my first, um, real brush with my mental health uh, problems and started feeding a sandwich to a closet, came through that through my Jeep, met Kristen, moved to Montana, end story. You know, it's not like my 65-year-old man, I'm going to give you all the details, but just the lessons I learned in like that five-year period. Um, And for that one, I am planning very specific things, you know, so like I've got on the wall... Like, what music was I listening to back then? Um, I read a lot of Ram Dass and Alan Watts. What research can I do into how that helped me kind of come through the other end without it just being quotes from them? What lessons did I glean? Um, The first time I took the top off the Jeep, you know, and I was driving and it was a beautiful day. 
versus the time that I left the top off the Jeep and I got caught in like a tropical fucking rainstorm. Versus it was just the time you left the top on. on the Jeep while we were trying to move. Yeah. You and almost it, lost yeah. it entirely. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. So like I need the top on the Jeep to represent something throughout the story. And without even really thinking about it, we've just named uh, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. <laughs> version of the top that is on the jeep and so i'm taking these basic topics and then i've got different colors so that i can kind of break up what's happening and then some things i've got lines that are drawn to other things and i've circled a few things and once i fill that all up i'll break it down into a more structured less playful but more put together version of what i'm saying i'll erase the whiteboard and i'll do it again <laughs> until i have Oh, there's this beautiful story about my dad teaching me to play catch, which is on the board. I'm not going to tell you why it's on there. Your father taught you how to play catch. My dad used to missile them at my face. So <laughs> if this is a story that is about my loss of my father, there are going to be sections where I have to go back and see the parts of him while he was alive mm -hmm. so that the audience understands what happened after he died. You know? Am I making any sense? Yeah, okay. and like I... Um, I feel like I bogard for like 10 minutes. You're fine. And I don't um, know if I'm like saying smart shit or if I'm just drinking. <laughs> a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> no, cool. Because, um, I mean, granted, to be fair, I've never tried to seriously write a book. Like when I was much younger, like 11, like mm -hmm. I tried to write a book and that was like saved on floppy disks, if that tells you anything about how serious <laughs> that endeavor was. Um, but I... I have always hated outlines, and I think it's predominantly because it's in the point of when you're in school, yeah. like... The same reason a, people hate reading and writing is because it gets... It's like my hatred for mathematics. I would love math. I would love science. I love getting high and watching documentaries about space. So I know that I would have loved science if they would have just approached it in a way where it was like, don't beat me over the head. Make it fun. Yeah. My English teacher always made it fun. You know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's part of the reason I, whenever I tried to write create or um, from like a creative aspect, like even in my creative writing class in college, I don't think that I did um, any kind of outline, which probably didn't help me. <laughs> um, but because yeah, whenever you're doing essays in elementary school, high school, yeah, it's very much like point one A B C, point mm -hmm. two A B C, and it's just boring and. It's not fun, and it feels like you're basically writing the paper to go back and rewrite the paper. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably let you read this section because it's a bit longer and you have a better reading voice. Um, <laughs> but she talks about the last time she goes to fix the book, and she finally gets the book fixed, um, kind of doing her own outline, and she's got her papers like spread all over yeah, the floor. I've and, done that a bunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, um, she does little like tiny outlines for like individual chapters of what needs to be. Um, put into the chapter mm -hmm. where stuff needs to be added in and she talks about it from a perspective of it's literally just a and b but for each chapter the beginning of the chapter is a the end of the chapter is b and b has to connect to the next a yeah and i was like that's a neat way of looking at it so it's that section you have bracketed it off all right who's he talking to is this the editor oh yeah 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 she right me wants a lady <laughs> no this who she's talking to here tell me chapter by chapter what you just told me in the last half yeah, hour so yeah that's editor. where yeah the editor's telling her go write the book that you're telling me that you're writing mm -hmm. and i did 
I arranged to stay with some friends in Cambridge for a month, and there I sat down every day and wrote 500 to 1,000 words describing what was going on in each chapter. I discussed who the characters were turning out to be, where they'd been, and what they were up to, and why. I quoted directly from the manuscript sometimes, using some of the best lines to instill confidence in both me and my editor, and I figured out over and over point A, where the chapter began, and point B, where it ended, and what needed to happen to get my people from A to B, and then how the B of the last chapter would lead organically into point A of the next chapter. The book moved along like the alphabet, like a vivid and continuous dream. The treatment was 40 pages long. I mailed it from Cambridge and flew home. And then the next two words, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, is instead of you're doing an outline for an entire book, you're doing it bird by bird. <laughs> yeah, well, what she did there is, by doing the treatment, she's more or less creating the proposal. Um, much like I've discussed with you off mic about that TV show. I want to do the first, I, I, I want the whole first season. Like, I, I, I don't want the first episode. I don't want the first three episodes. I'd settle for maybe like the first half with a treatment for the second half, but it would have to be 30 to 40 pages per episode of here's what I need to happen. Here's how this affects this affects this affects this. <laughs> so that whoever you're trying to sell it to can conceptualize it. Um, but it has to be perfect. <laughs> I sound pretentious. You are pretentious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't write, and probably for good reason. <laughs> well, what, what, so... what, what did you take away from that section? Because that's more what I wanted to know, because I've, I've read the book. But like, where, where are you at with stuff like that? I just think it's an interesting, I mean, and it, it doesn't, like I said, specifically pertain to me because I'm not a writer, but I do mm -hmm. think it's an interesting way of looking at tackling a larger project is because she does have that metaphor of her brother doing mm -hmm. a science project literally bird by bird because he's got a bunch he's got to do. And I think in that way, if someone's working on a larger project, it is easier to be like, what's happening right now? Yeah. And how does right now affect what happens next? Yeah, and how does that ha affect what happens yeah. next? Don't rush it. Be here now. Be here now. Be here now. And I do think it's nice, too. <laughs> Ram Dass reference. <laughs> I do think it's nice, too, to think of it kind of in that way of, like, how does this chapter lead mm -hmm. into the next chapter? Because I think a lot of people are taught the whole story arc where you have like you know the introduction the climax and the resolution yeah. um so i think sometimes especially with tv shows they have like the random episode that's kind of like wayward from the entire story yeah. because i don't know they're trying to the head of the writing team went on vacation whatever. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah like it, it's i think it, it's helpful to kind of make sure you don't have these episodes that kind of go astray or these chapters that kind of go astray to be like how did the previous chapter affect this chapter yeah can i relate that to one of the smaller things that i wanted to talk about we'll cut this out in like 10 minutes mm -hmm. so Kristen and i have been watching the punisher um I want your full thoughts on it, but um, we were watching an episode, I think we're still in season one, um, where for 
I like the episode as a standalone episode. Uh, they break down into the assassination of the senator or the attempted assassination of the senator where some people think the Punisher did it and other people think it's this, you know, military group and some people think it's the cops and the senator and like, the, so you see the same situation unravel from all these different characters' perspectives, mm -hmm. which was crazy interesting. But as far as the entirety of the show goes, crazy unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> we could have just killed that dude or not killed that dude and moved on, you know, with the story. Because the writing in the show is so fucking strong. I forgot how strong it was. Because uh, when I think Punisher, when I think Marvel movie, I think, oh, we're just going to blow shit up and let's, you know, we're not going to have, you know, detailed development. Uh, but the Punisher was actually really good for that. And then for this one episode, they're like, oh, we're going to drop an art film in the middle of your, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, It does feel flow. like somebody was like, you know what would be fun? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did a multiple perspective. Is it him? Is it not him? <laughs> yeah, because whenever they show, I, I'll give him that, whenever they show that first scene where he, like, clearly comes in with the bad dude and, yeah. like, he's clearly helping him, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it's a great episode, right? But as you were saying, like, shows feel this need to meander. They're not moving from one mm -hmm. element to the next element. And that one episode of Stranger Things is probably my, like, biggest, like, why did you do that? Oh, the one where she goes and hangs out with the street kids? Yeah, it's <laughs> so unnecessary. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think it it weirdly stalls the pacing of mm -hmm. the season a bit. Because um, yeah, it's not very necessary. We've already established everybody knows Frank's alive. Yeah. Um, and we as an audience know he's not working with that kid or a bad guy. <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> so who are you trying to trick? Yeah. What, is this? what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it is a bit weird. Um. Yeah, overall, it's a good show. Um, I'm kind of surprised. And this came after the comic book, obviously, and after mm -hmm. the movie. Well, the so. comics came out in, like, the 70s, I think. Yeah, Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like the story of the Punisher wasn't around already. Yeah. Um, so I think anyone watching the show could very easily be like, oh, I know what happened before the show picked up. I do think it's an interesting choice that they completely skipped... The death of his family and him killing all the people responsible for it mm -hmm. and we're picking up after he thinks he's already finished and then turns out oh there's still someone alive yeah i'm i'd, I'd be curious to go back because i can't remember if he appeared in daredevil and then that's when it happened with the death of the family and then this is kind of an offshoot of daredevil or if this was a separate project that they lined up in a daredevil season mm -hmm. i can't remember which one came first which one came second um but they like give you like these glimpses of the military people, and in the book or the Comic graphic book. novel, um, he's like killed by them. They're all killed by the mafia, and like he starts flipping out and like takes down the mob, you know, with um, which was what was happening in New York at the same time that those stories were being written, but not as violently. It was like people pacing around waiting for the cops to take out these fucking dudes. I think it's an interesting choice that they would update so much of the Frank Castle character to make him a more modern soldier um, and then not show us, you know, the SWAT team running through the house gunning down his family and he can't fix it. You know what I'm saying? No. Well, like, they've, they've reinvented the character for the large part and they've obviously reinvented the deaths 
of his family members because it is supposed to happen on a beach during like a wedding or some shit like that where like his extended family gets taken out his direct family gets taken out um and then he goes on to kill all these guys we didn't have the scene on the beach this is now happening inside of the home i thought that maybe they would show us how they you know went out in this new modern way. Yeah, because I'm confused. And for what reason? Like, who set out to kill Frank's fucking family? <laughs> like, well, they make it out, like... Because they, they very passingly talked about it. They make it out like they think he's the one who took the video and then gave it to the yeah. CIA, so they're like, we'll kill him. Which doesn't make any sense, because at that point, the CIA already had the video. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I guess for me... Like, I get if there's already existing work, maybe kind of wanting to skip over it because you're like, oh, we've been there, we've done that. And I think most people who have watched the show probably saw the Punisher movie because the mm -hmm. Punisher movie was... The first one. Fairly big when it came yeah. out. Um, the first one was good. And then there was a weird one where he was like RoboCop and they played a lot of Rob Zombie music and there was no plot. You don't need to. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> uh, the Punisher War Games, I think. Something with war. But I, I could see maybe wanting to skip over that because that movie does show his family's death. Mm -hmm. It shows him taking his revenge, and that's the entire movie, him taking his revenge. So to some extent, I could see wanting to skip that for the show. But on the flip side, yeah, like you said, like, if this SWAT team comes through and kills his family in his home, own home, I'm very confused if the flashback he keeps having as a, of his wife being shot in the head is how she actually died. Was he literally physically in the room when yeah. his wife got killed? And if and he was, what why happened? Why didn't they kill him? <laughs> why did they leave him alive? Exactly. So, like, it, it doesn't make sense to kill his family and just let him be. Like, he's definitely going to be mad about that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm confused if the flashback's just him haunted. He's definitely going to be mad. <laughs> I'm confused if the flashback is just him haunted by her death or if that's how she actually died. Yeah. And then what happened? <laughs> yeah, it's not clear yet, and I can't remember if it gets cleared up. Like, I, I. That's an interesting point, but. All that to say, that breakaway episode, unnecessary. That's not bird by bird. That's not A-B-A-B. <laughs> you ready to get out of here, love? Yeah. Go make my wife some rings and some motherfucking wings. And hopefully a really stupid movie. I think <laughs> it's time that we do two a proper two-star for you next week. Love you, sweetheart. Love you. And I love you guys, and we will talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs> Kristen's warned me that I need to like be less loud on the outro so that she can edit it like this.